0: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
2: Rainers for a hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes, we have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game?
0: Can I blame Michael Castillo for this?
3: Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up
4: against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave
1: line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year. Oh no! Hello, everybody, welcome back to random of Troy Radio, episode 414, coming to you on Tuesday, September 7th. This is our Fallout episode, looking back at USC's 30 to seven win over the San Jose State Spartans at the Coliseum. We're going to open up the mailbag, look back at Over Under, and so much more. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Rand of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com, slash Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, wherever you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is Rand of Troy at com, and our phone number is 213-373-1-USC. USC, show. show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. General with my co-host, Alicia D'Aretola. Hello, everybody. Hello! We are back! This is the first uh, Fallout episode of the year. We're a day late uh, because there was a holiday yesterday. Yesterday was Labor Day. Uh, Normally, during the season, our plan is to record and drop uh, episodes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and then Saturdays because games are on Saturdays, and that's where the CarCast episodes are going to go. But look for the Fallout episodes on Monday... Look for the preview episodes on Wednesday. Uh, we record mid-afternoon and then drop after then. Uh, so we're a day late this week, but uh, that's just how the calendar crumbles.
3: Hopefully, we're not a dollar short. A day late and a dollar short. You're not get. You're
1: not get. I I, I get it. It's, okay, I'll give you credit.
3: Biz- that's how the calendar crumbles. What the heck does a calendar have to crumble for? Like, we're going to get nitpicky about things. What's wrong with the calendar crumbling? Well, what's wrong with saying, I hope we're not a dollar short?
1: Nothing. I'll give you credit. I just wasn't expecting it.
3: Okay. Here
1: you go. Cred- oh, hold on. Collectively, let's take a round of applause for Alicia's great reference.
3: Thank you. It was, it
1: was. It was good. Masterful. Objectively. Objectively, it was good. Thank you. I, I, okay. just, I wasn't prepared. Okay.
3: Okay. Right. You just weren't prepared for me being good. I get it. No,
1: that's that's, that's not it. Definitely not. It's all about expectations. And looking back at this game, it's all about expectations. <laughs> yeah. And you guys, the Robots, dialed into the Renitra rant line, as you always do with the phone number 213-373-1872. That's where you can call in uh, before, during, and after games to rants, rave, and the like. Here's what people had to say after USC's 30-7 win, over the San Jose State Spartans.
4: Hey, Rena Troy Radio, happy Groundhog's Day. Uh, looks like uh, USC Phil saw his shadow, and so we'll get six or 12 more weeks of Clay Helton and 12 more weeks of the same old thing. Bye, Don. Hey Rain, it's Roy. This is L.A. Fred
0: calling. It's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. The annoying guy from the Buckeye Country.
3: Hey, it's Josh. Just- from the West Side. I'm in a great mood today. You know why I'm in a great mood today? Because USC won yesterday. Baby 1-0. and oh. Let's go. Um, I didn't actually watch the game because I had to be at a bridal shower. So uh, I don't really have much to say beyond that. Did USC look good? No freaking clue. I was serving mimosas.
4: But you know what I do know? I know that they won. And in the words of the great Al Davis, "Just win, baby. That's all that matters."
0: Rave line. We talking rave line? Rave line. Rave line. We, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about rave line. We're all, not 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 a game. Not a game. Not a rat line. We're talking rave line? Nah. No, nah, not nah, son. We are not talking raid line. This is a rant line. This game is the epitome of Clay Helton's tenure here at USC.
4: Another year and another, not surprisingly, lackluster performance out of the gate from our Trojans. And you expecting anything else under Helton? The only thing that seemingly changed is in these opening games over, under the last six to seven years under Helton are the names on the roster and the number of times I have to get up at night to take a piss.
0: This offense is going to be a long season. I'm calling it like 9-3, 8-4, maybe worse. It's going to be terrible. It's just so frustrating watching this offense with all the weapons that they have. Put up 13 points and a half against a Mountain West opponent. I mean, come on. Come on. Four red zone
4: trips, came away with three field goals, and one garbage-time touchdown with two minutes to go in the game. It's 13 damn points going into the fourth quarter. The more I'm watching uh, Clovis play, the more I'm
0: falling out of love
4: with this guy. Helton, Harrell, and the offensive staff, they they continue to prove that they cannot make any sort of in-game adjustments
0: whatsoever. After that third quarter performance, it's been the third quarter like we have seen before countless times. Nothing done, inconsistent, no first downs, they do nothing. It's all on the offense. Graham Harrell can't call a game. Um, They're terrible, except for Drake London. Drake London, yeah, he balled out. Yeah, he almost got killed at the end of the game. We're keeping him in the game, because we had to keep our starters in the fourth quarter because this game wasn't put away. Yeah, all of this is what USC football
4: is about. If not for Drake London and that highlight catch by Taj Washington for the TD, did any other wide receivers any play in this game? Todd Washington is a stud. He can
0: make every one of these San Jose State defenders miss. Obviously, we know what Drake London can do. I want to see Katie Nixon in the open field. Anybody going forward, especially Kyle Whittingham, they're going to shut that number one guy down. I don't even have to say his name because he's the one who got the ball over and over. So frustrating. We can't put away this team that couldn't do anything on offense. We couldn't put away this team. Somebody's gonna try to tell me this defense, oh at least the defense showed up. No no. Yeah, if it wasn't for Greg Johnson's pick at the pick six at the end of the game, this game would have been a lot closer than it should have been and and we would not be talking about raid lines. Let's not get it twisted, USC fans. Let's not get it twisted, Rafa.
4: Hopefully, they build on whatever foolery they put together
3: that had people so upset on the Twitter. But I'm not going to be one of those people this year. You know why? Because Washington
4: lost to freaking Montana yesterday, y'all. Things could be a lot worse. I I don't want this to be all negative. After all, USC did win, and I'll always take an ugly win over a pretty loss any day of the week. Uh, So for a positive, we only had... Uh, four penalties, which is a huge improvement from last few years. And how about some love for uh, two freshman Caleb Bullock, who started in place of uh, COVID, Isaiah Polamal, and led the team in tackle. My excitement is going to be tempered, though, since we still have so many things to work on and clean up. So I'm only going to go with one big-ass beer tonight, and I might not even finish all of it. And let's get the trees next week, and fight on,
0: everybody. We'll keep fighting on. We'll keep doing the damn thing. Fight out. Fight out.
4: Oh, as always,
3: as always, exceptional work from the Robots calling in. It's a good start. I particularly enjoyed Dave, you know, in Orange County. Good old Dave with the, uh, not a a rant line, not a rant line, not a rave (laughs) line, not a rave line, (laughs) whichever way. I love it. I just, I love that reference. But yeah, uh, yeah, I think think the, the Robots sort of mirror our takeaways from this game, which is just that, like, here we go again
1: yeah uh the good thing about you know watching this team uh and and this is i think underrated about this team is the consistency we talk about how this team is inconsistent no they're it's very consistent yes. right <laughs> and, and watching the team is consistent uh and i think as you know we, we've talked about before that as, as a podcaster it might make it difficult to talk about the same things over and over again but can we look at the positives? We know what to say every time.
3: No, that's not a positive. That's why we're all pissed off, Michael, because it's not a positive to have to say the same thing over and over again for five years.
1: I mean, it can be. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a little bored of it. I mean, well, yes, but I'm just saying, like, it, You gotta it's, mix it's up the routine every once in a while. 100%. But, like, it, it's sometimes it's comforting to know, like, I got nothing new to say. Wait a minute, I can just say what I said last week. That's not comforting the week at before. all that's the not, week before that—that's
3: not—that's not even slightly comforting <laughs> to me.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's how things are. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of the news and get into more uh, USC and San Jose State coming up uh, just in a second. So let's get into the news. Uh, Clay Elton Sunday night's conference call. I went down on Sunday night, as it usually does, the day after the game. Uh, mostly the thing to take away from here is the injury updates. Uh, and it all really does look good. IPM and Gary Bryant Jr., two guys who missed the game due to COVID protocols, are expected back for Stanford. Gary Bryant has been dealing with a, a hamstring injury throughout fall camp, um, but then was... was Turning the corner on that before he got got uh, sidelined with the COVID protocols, he cleared the COVID protocols on Friday, uh, but it was too late to put him into the game. So expect him to be back this upcoming week against the Cardinal. Uh, the same thing with IPM, who hasn't cleared but is on pace to clear.
3: Yeah, the funny thing for Gary Bryan Jr. is like when you hear he's dealing with a hamstring injury, like you obviously would have wanted to see him play in this game but at the same time hamstrings are naggy little injuries yeah. and some enforced time off just to make sure for sure that the hamstring is good that's not the worst thing in the world
1: no it's it's not and then you can talk about IPM too like obviously you'd want your you know captain of, of the defense right he's someone who you would expect to be one of the best players on this team and one of your your focal points, especially on the defensive side of the ball. At the same time, when you look at how the game played out with Kalen Bullock there, it's not the end of the world that Kalen Bullock was able to get in all that experience uh, as as a freshman in his first ever appearance for the Trojans, his first ever start. Let's see weather the storm here.
3: Some silver linings for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Kalen Bullock is now a, a comfort. For USC going forward, they don't necessarily yeah. need him, but now you know, like, you can throw him in and not have to worry at all because he's already stepped up to the plate.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, other news, injuries wise uh, Nick Figueroa, who had an AC sprain, is day to day. Drake Jackson had a thigh contusion, he's day to day. And Chris Steele had a thin laceration, he is day to day. Expect a little bit more updates on those guys. Really today, as we record this, uh, USC is going to practice later on Tuesday afternoon, uh, and that's when you would hear updates in that. So check back for the Stanford preview, uh, and we can look back at those. But uh, all things considered, Clay Hilton said on Saturday after the game that he thought SC kind of got through on injuries pretty, pretty decently, uh, and it looks to be the case going forward. Nothing major or serious uh, that would hamper the Stanford game. Uh, Let's look at the rankings. SC getting the win. uh, Their biggest week one win since 2015. uh, A 23-point win over the defending Mountain West champions. That boosts them in the AP poll to 14th, up a spot. They don't move in the coaches, and they stay at 14th. So a consensus 14th in the main polls. We don't have the SP plus numbers yet, but FPI, the Trojans sit at 21st. Drop two spots. But, uh this is why i say i do not care about fpi
3: well i mean all advanced stats are are going to tell you different things so the sure. fpi overall i don't think matters a lot i think i did find it interesting looking at the efficiencies the fpi efficiencies usc was 42nd overall 86th on defense and i'm going to i gonna on offense 86th mm. on offense and i'm going to have mm. more to say about that later ninth on defense and 67th on special teams so I think that weirdly, the FPI efficiencies are probably a better mirror of of what like the eye test told me this week for USC than some of the other advanced metrics that we've gotten to see. Uh, So that at the very least, you know, tip of the cap to them for that. But these also these numbers are all it's kind of pointless looking at them from a week to week basis, because these are all meant to be you put in complete data points and then get the the full picture out when you're putting incomplete data points, which an individual week of football is, you can only tell so much.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot to, uh, to still come together, even though we talked about how consistently consistent USC is. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the PAC 12 and Notre Dame, everyone on the USC schedule going forward. Uh, the Utah Utes beat Weber state 40 to 17 on Thursday night, as did ASU beating Uh, FCS Southern Utah uh, 41-14, Colorado beat Northern Colorado 35-7, I believe. Uh, Those were all on Thursday night. Uh, Oregon struggled against Fresno State, eked out a seven-point win, a game in which Kayvon Thibodeau uh, left due to injury. Uh, UCLA got a big win over LSU 38-27. And then from there, it was a disastrous day for the Pac-12. Washington loses to FCS Montana, 13-7. Stanford loses to K-State. Daniel Matupepe in K-State, 24-7. Purdue beats up on Oregon State. Nevada beats Cal. BYU beats Arizona. And Utah State ekes out a late win over Wazoo, 26-23 on the Palouse. Uh, Saturday night, I mean, sorry, Sunday night, uh, was Notre Dame getting an OT win over Florida State. Nearly blew a big fourth-quarter lead. Uh, Milton McKenzie... Milton... Milton McKenzie? I'm, M- McKenzie Milton? McKenzie Milton? What am I doing? Yeah, you flip, flip that around. Yeah. Uh, McKenzie Milton <laughs> leading back like a like a Disney script um, out of his disastrous, horrible leg injury that he suffered at UCF back in 2018. He comes back, leads a comeback for the Knowles, but they can't get the win. Uh, over the Irish before Brian Kelly, of course, executes his team.
3: <laughs> executes a joke he stole from John McKay.
1: Not so very well.
3: Yeah, very poorly. Uh, but and that's why that's controversial. But this was a, a weird week because it started out very well for the Pac twelve, and it actually turned out very well for the Pac twelve South. I mean, even you look at it in in the midst of all those Pac twelve North losses, Arizona. Losing to BYU twenty four sixteen like that's not a terrible result for Arizona. That's a better showing than I would have guessed. So is this this is the question I have? Is this result a good sign for USC because BYU does not look like the team that they were last year?
1: BYU was dead last in the country in returning production. They lost everybody off of that team. So I would say on paper that it's not doesn't look terrible for Arizona. I think if you're Jed Fish, you got to probably feel okay with that, but. At the end of the day, like, what does that game show you? I don't know that it shows you anything. It
3: shows us that Arizona has a pulse, though, because it's not like everyone played, everyone Arizona played last year was, like, good. Right. I'm just saying. The fact that they fought through in that game tells you that they might be on board with Jedfish. That doesn't make them dangerous, but.
1: I mean, no BYU is well coached with Satake. Yeah. But I'm just saying, neither one of those teams are what they are in week one, as they are going to be in week 12. Yeah, that's fair. Week 15. Right? So. Uh, SC plays Arizona in the middle of the season, so we'll see how that goes. But they finished with the BYU, so BYU is going to be a, f- a finished product, you would, you would assume. Right, uh, but the they got a November. long way to go. Yeah, long way to go for the Cougars and the Wildcats. O- o-
3: over, overall, this week, I think USC looks at it like coming out of this week, I already thought USC's schedule was fortunate. It looks even more fortunate yeah. coming out of this week. 100%. Uh, does week one mean a whole lot? No, it, it really doesn't. But Notre Dame doesn't look impervious on defense. They have a lot of work to do on defense. Yep. Uh, you know, Washington, uh, who the heck knows how that possibly happened. I didn't watch the game. I don't know how
1: you lose to Montana. I Okay, Montana is not a bad FCS team. But they're, they're an they're FCS, an FCS power. But they're still At an the FCS team. At the same time, they're still an FCS team. They're and
3: an FCS team, and Washington is... Is Washington a team there's a contender in the conference. A, yeah, so and they have a really, really good offensive line and a really good defensive front. Like again, I don't know how that happens, but but the rest of it is is uh, is just the way things go in, in the Pac-12. And I think it goes to show that that there's gonna be a sort of middling feel to the Pac-12 again this year. I, I don't think there are any elite teams.
1: Yeah, clearly it's all Larry Scott's fault, but. um <laughs> Yeah, I think you you look at it, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes to fruition. Uh, UCLA has the biggest notable win with the win over a ranked team, uh, but we've talked about it before. I don't know that LSU is any good, so I, I don't know how much stock I put into that. Uh, but here's, again, what I, here's what I'll have to say about UCLA you, look
3: look good. Here's what I have to say about UCLA beating LSU. I made a lot of predictions this week, part way for the Pickham League that we're in, but partly. Because of my job, where I'm actually making like predictions and publication, my predictions were all wrong. Like I was bad, terrible on the prediction front, but I did predict UCLA to beat LSU, which is how telegraphed that game was.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which is why I don't understand the national narrative, but I've talked about that (laughs) uh, plenty. Um, But last thing we got to get to before we talk about USC's uh, win over San Jose State is. The terrible loss of Sam Bam Cunningham. Um, He's passed away at 71. He was an All-American fullback at USC, a captain, a national title winner on the 1972 Infallible Trojans, Uh, a member of the USC Athletic, Rose Bowl, and College Football Hall of Fame, an incredible ambassador for the program, uh we know the history going back to that 1970 game uh against Alabama uh in Birmingham like this is one of those guys that you are so glad to be associated with this university um and it's it it this this i put on twitter this one stings cuz it it seriously does not like I I don't know how you want to compare notable players of the past from passing away like that just, that feels weird, but like this one just feels like it just hurts so much more than, than some other names and I, again it's not a competition. I
3: I wasn't I wasn't prepared for it like yeah I you, think that, we were that's the we other were thing. sitting at the kitchen table and you're like wait Sam Bam died and I'm like Sam Sam Bam like Sam Bam or are you talking about some other Sam Bam like. What and and it just it, it just sort of like a punch in the gut like you're just not per- seventy one is not the age at which I expect these sort of titans of the sport to and be passing. Let's be real, he looked like he was fifty one. Yeah, he looked great, and we don't know what uh you know what the cause of death was at this point. Either way, it's just terrible. It's just sad, and uh and you know. Uh, Jeremy Fuster, one of the uh, one of the guys we know from USC, tweeted, um, if USC didn't limit their number of retirements to Heisman winners, they'd have no numbers. But few Trojans had a career as worthy of a number of retirement as Sam Bam. And I think he's 100%. absolutely right. Um, you just he was like when I say a titan of the sport, I mean like a titan of like USC history. Like he yes. is a historical figure athletically, he was outstanding, he made his mark. Um He's just one of those guys that that deserves all of the the honors that you can give him. I hope that on Saturday, USC does something special to acknowledge him they at will, the Stanford sure. game. Uh, I hope everyone understands. And I think everyone does. I mean, you and I are too young to have seen Sam Bam play in his, you know, his, in his pomp. But like... We heard the stories, We understand. We've seen this. I've read enough of the stories. I've seen enough of the clips. I've seen, you know, I know enough of the things to know that this is just like one of the big, big figures in USC history and, and he's uh he's gonna be very, very missed. It's just a huge bummer. I just it just it just hurts.
1: Yeah, it it's it's a big loss. It's a big loss for everybody. Um growing up, my dad would talk about him so much because of what he was as a football player in in addition to so many other things, right? Sometimes it's it's easy to you you look at the the cultural impact of the 1970 game, right? And I think that that is so much of a part of, of Sam Bam's story. At the same time, I think it's easy to forget, like, the little things. Like, Sam Bam, one of the greatest players ever from inside the two-yard line, doing the leap, and my dad would just instill in me that, like, if you have the ball at the one-yard line, you need to leap over like Sam Bam uh, and, and do the do the John McKay little, little free willie. Leap with it with his hand over really? to uh, to, uh, to to Woody Hayes like yeah. that. It's it's so iconic and it's such a, a classic thing uh, of USC and in history and and it is um, it's not good to not have Sam here, but no. you will be forever uh, in the hearts of the Trojans and um, in in the history, the annals of USC history for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace and fight on forever. Yes, indeed.
1: Uh, and with that, we do that awkward transition thing to talking about this past week's game, USC beating San Jose State 30 uh, 7. A game that we've talked about it before on paper looked fine. Like, if you would have been, if if someone would have given you, we're looking at the stat broadcast right now in the, the, the game book. If you would have gotten this on Saturday morning, I think you'd just take the game. Like like if you don't look at the play by play, you just get the stats, and you get the you see the score and all that, you immediately take this. Thirty to seven, uh SC wins by by twenty-three, they cover, uh they they hold uh San Jose State to, to not many rushing yards, they control the line of scrimmage, they like do those things you take it a hundred percent. But yet it was a game that worked out in Frustrating ways, and that tends to happen with this team. Well,
3: it it just goes to show that the the problems that this team has are, I think, disturbingly deep. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 not that they don't have talent, because clearly everyone played well. Like, who didn't play well in this game from a USC perspective? Uh, I. Maybe you want to see more uh, more distribution to other passing targets from Keaton Slovis and from the wide receiver core in general. Maybe maybe that's a criticism you have.
1: Uh, I think I think you but, could have seen more from Slovis. I thought he locked onto his receivers a little bit too much, especially Drake London. Uh, was not his best game. He was a little bit nimble in the pocket, a little more than I, th- th- I thought than we he, saw last year. I thought sure. he held
3: onto the ball a little bit too long. Yes, he, he did. took some sacks he did, he did not need to take. I, uh, I agree, and uh, and so yeah, those are things. But but at the same time, like if this is a middling performance, I think for for Slovis, I don't think this is a bad performance from him. If you're gonna give the it's the first game of the season, you have to ease in excuse to anybody. Like I think Slovis probably gets that one. You know, just. Work sure. your way up. Sure. The The problem is that the red zone offense is so disappointing that it overshadows everything else. And I, I put this on Twitter. USC's offense is too much filler and not enough substance. 416 total yards is something that Clay Hilton gets to brag about on the Sunday pro- conference oh, can, call.
1: Can I go with my little pet peeve here? Yes. We talked about this a year ago, how Clay Elton and, and Graham Harrell had established this idea that if they ran for like 170 rushing yards, that they could be on the level of being a playoff and championship team because that's what LSU and Alabama did in, in 2019. That, well, SC threw for as many passing yards as those two teams did. Uh, in, in the, Those two teams were the only teams that threw the ball better uh, in 2019, LSU and Alabama. So if Se just ran for the same number of rushing yards, you know, that that's the, the lone difference. Um, and they kept citing every time they would rush for about 170 yards, like they did last year in the opener against ASU. And then in week two against Arizona, they they did it back-to-back weeks. And, well, we were running for the total that we're looking for. And we talked about it then, that it just it seemed like a little bit of false science to look at that total when it's not what the total is, it's how you get there. And here we are in 2021, uh, and I was there after the game talking to Keaton Slovis, and he mentioned the 160 yards again. Yeah, Like, well, well we had a good day rushing because we ran for 160 yards. And I I think the rushing game was good in this game. I don't want to take anything away from what USC did on the ground. At the same point, let's stop using those yardage numbers. Those yardage totals don't tell you anything. They don't. It is a false equivalency to being good. Like, it, it does not tell you anything. Cite the yards per carry. Cite some, some, you know, other statistics about the running game than just total yards. Because, you know, we, we saw it, I think, last year, where there were games in which they got to about the, those totals, that were buoyed by like a 30 and 40 yard run and to their credit they didn't have those this was a like genuine 160 yards on the ground where there wasn't like a 50 yard run in there 174
3: sack adjusted rushing yards 5.4 yeah. yards per carry sack adjusted
1: yeah and their long runs yeah there there were there were, so, there were but, some 15 16 yard runs but there wasn't like a 40 50, 60 yard run that took the bulk of those yards, which is, which is why this game, I think you can be very proud about the rushing totals, but those rushing totals, like what they don't tell the story as to how you got there. And it's the, how you got there. That's important because I think you look at these totals for USC on offense. Well, they 416 yards, 256 through the air and 160 on the ground. Like none of those numbers are terrible. Um, in total, and you would, you'd again, you'd have probably looked at these numbers and taken them before the game, but yet you look how the game played out, and they don't do anything.
3: Well, because the again, the the problem isn't that USC can't run the ball; they can. The problem isn't that USC can't run, pass the ball; they can. The problem is you get inside the twenty-five yard line, and all of a sudden you can't do jack crap.
1: Right. And, or it's the, it's the consistency of those yards. Yes, of those but, yards. But at the end of the day, the yards are going to be there anyway. Or the
3: balance. So you're just – this is empty calories. All of this is empty calories because if you're not getting in the end zone – I mean, how many years ago was it? Maybe Three, maybe four years ago was the, the year when Stanford's offense just – for whatever re- – like Stanford just could not score. They could not score a, if their life depended on it. And that they had a pretty decent offense, but they just – in the red zone, they just fell apart. That's what we saw from USC in this game. And that's what makes this so concerning because, and and I wish, I wish there was a way, there was a, 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 a way that wouldn't take forever to like, look at what, what are, what's the, what's the rushing average inside the red zone? What are the passing completions inside the red zone? Like, what are those numbers specific to the red zone? Because I think that you'd see some much uglier figures if you looked at it that way, because, USC got into the red zone four times. They got one touchdown out of that, and it was a garbage-time touchdown at that.
1: Right. And the other thing is, SC's problem in the red zone is that they get behind the sticks. They get behind the schedule. Uh, And when you do that, and Slovis talked about this after the game on Saturday, that when you do that, you go into third down, and in the red zone, if you drop eight in the red zone, it's incredibly difficult to throw the ball. Yeah, yeah. It's super hard. There's only so much space. There's only so many yards of grass.
3: And USC has no idea how to scheme guys open, as we've learned over the the past couple of years.
1: They can do it at the forties.
3: Well, because at because at the forties, I don't think you're scheming them open. I think guys are just getting open because they're very athletically gifted. But but
1: we've we've but seen like, we've seen those hitches just be randomly open. And teams giving SC the hitches,
3: yeah. Uh, but inside th- the red zone, you don't have to give USC that hitch. You can right, you, exactly. you, you have a, the defenders there to cover the space. Yeah. So it's it's frustrating because those are things that it's it's not that the execution is going wrong necessarily. I think there were a couple instances where Slovis's execution isn't working for what USC needs in the red zone. But I think Graham Harrell has to own that too because. Because when you don't have very many options when you get into the red zone, then your quarterback is going to have to just stare at the one guy right. that he's going to try to throw the ball to because you don't have a plan B, C, or or at least functionally it doesn't look like you do. So one thing I wanted to bring up was something that I thought was very interesting relative to that uh, the ESPN-FPI where they have USC's offense inefficiencies ranked 86th. And you look at the pro football focus uh, offensive grades. This is from At Sports Pack 12 who pulled all of these together. USC ranked second in the entire Pack 12 this week with a score of 82 in the pro, fo- pro football focus grades. Now, pro football focus grades are flawed, absolutely. But, like, that number, the fact that USC is second best in the conference, just barely behind ASU, who was playing, you know, crap teams, Colorado playing crap teams, the fact that USC is up there while only scoring 23 offensive points tells you that this is all just filler. It's it's all of those, the yards that, you, that, that that are not going to win you a tough game. Because if you can't do it inside those tight spaces in the red zone, if you can't do it at the goal line, you're not going to to prevail. And that is the thing that I would like USC to feel and experience some urgency about. And I can't say that they're not because I'm obviously not in their meeting rooms, but like it would be really good to hear that the red zone thing was what people were talking about and not like the, we had 160 yards rushing. Like uh, Keaton talked about like finishing drives. And I think Vi also talked about like how they needed to finish, uh, you know, get the points on the board. So they know what they need to do. I just don't know. I don't know at this point, that USC has an idea of how to do that because this is not the first time.
1: We talked about literally we literally, had these same combos
3: last year. Literally the entire and and okay and okay th- this is <laughs> Kenny uh, Kenneth Martin of the THT Pod. Rest in peace. Pod um, pointed out to us that like USC put up this graphic on Twitter saying. USC won the season opener by 23 points, the largest margin of victory for USC in an opener since 2015. And it's like, Kenny was like, hmm, I wonder what happened in 20, what, what has happened since 2015. And it's like, yeah, like this is not the bragging thing that you think it is, USC, because you should be winning games by, th- your, your oh, season opener should be winning by 35 regu- regularly. Like I get that that people struggle, I get that, but like, Winning by twenty three because you only scored twenty three offensive points is and well, and it's
1: the it's the context and thing, right? and
3: twenty three offensive points and it's only sixteen of those were actual like not garbage time like that ain't good.
1: Yeah, and it's what we've talked about before after week one stuff. If this was a one time thing uh, against a Mountain West champion, you could be like, "Well, oh, that was a good team," and San Jose State probably is a really good team, and they're probably. In the middle of the pack of where USC's opponents are would be ranked if you ranked them all right, but you can't you can't give the benefit of the doubt to single games when we've seen the same game over and over and over again. It's just it's just the nature of the thing. sc has got to prove uh, the the inverse at some point. Uh, final thought before you move on uh, to over under uh, is that Saturday was the first time in fifty seven games. SC held us uh, an opponent to single digits.
3: It's a I long was, time. I was, I was
1: shocked at that number.
3: That is a long time, and
1: I'm gonna pour a little
3: of water on that because San Jose State had opportunities to score field goals that they missed. Well,
1: they got in the red zone twice. Yeah. That they could have scored. So and that so last drive, they got stopped at the one yard line.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from the defense because it genuinely was a good defensive performance. And, and I, they got and a I, pick I, six. And I think they, yeah, and, the, and they got the pick six. And I think they've earned the right to be able to say that we're, we're the defense that held somebody to single digits for the first time in 57 games. Like... I'm not gonna take that away from them but, at all. But isn't
1: this the thing too? Like not not why to, has it been fifty-seven games? Well well yes, hundred percent. But the other thing that I would say is they got things to break their way this time. Yeah. In terms of cause it could have been 13 points. And maybe it should have been 13 points that that uh San Jose State scored, right? Uh, or 14 point, whatever. But even throughout all those 15, 57 games, there were other games that were similar to this. Mm-hmm. uh in which they could have held a, t- a team to that they held the team to 13 points but they could have held them to 7 if, well, if they if if their they hadn't right.
3: if they hadn't given up that 65-yard touchdown scramble or right. you know the big breakdown which is I think the big takeaway you take from this is they didn't have the big breakdown now
1: right did we, not they up uh, uh, against Arizona 30 was it 42 nothing or 41 nothing <laughs> Uh, A couple years ago at the Coliseum. Yeah. And and then they ended up giving up 14 garbage points. So yeah. So like that doesn't matter. Even though, yes, they could have given up more points, but they they just haven't in 57 games found a way to have everything break their way. Okay.
3: For instance, when we talk about like the offense, like if this was the first, if this wasn't the same thing we'd seen every single week for years now, we would react differently. I think that, I want to give a tip of the cap to the defense, but also do it again next week because uh, San Jose State, we talked about in our preview, they didn't have that one big guy who's going to burn you on that one play. Right. So, like, of course you didn't give up the one big play situation. Like, do that against a team that actually can hurt you that way, and then and then we'll really start to believe.
1: Who's going to be that test? Washington State with Borgie? Um, sure if I don't if, know that Stanford if Rolovich that guy decides
3: to use Max Borgie sure. as as befits a player like Max Borgie, but I don't know.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. But
3: Stanford, okay, I know Stanford's office is doesn't but, exactly wow you, but Stanford has always had that big tight end that just burns you a few times. No, so well, like
1: that, that goes without saying. I, I think for me, you look at this this stat in general, the six single digits in fifty seven games and all that stuff. It's akin to the fifty points. How yeah, like, SC, I, I don't care you
3: how don't, you get to 50 points, just get to freaking 50 points. If, like, yeah, the, take nothing away.
1: Given SC's talent level and given their ability and all this stuff, um, the, their potential, they should hold teams to single digits a few times a year, a couple times a year. Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. It shouldn't be an expectation for every single game, but you, it should happen a couple times a year at least. Uh, and it's the same thing with 50 points. When you have this much talent on offense, SC should be able to score 50 points uh, a couple of times. I don't think it's it's crazy We're to ask for that a couple of times lot. in a game, yeah. in, in, a, in a season. Uh, and SC hasn't scored 50 points in a million years, it feels like. So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's go to over-under, looking back at USC's win over San Jose State. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, let's get into the over-under. See how we begin the season in over-under. Alicia, your first one was, you said over-under 4.25 San Jose State Yards per carry. You uh, set that in line. I took the under. It was under. At 3.5 yards per carry, uh, the Rotbots at home, 81% got that right.
3: Yeah, good job on the defense. That's, that's a, a area of concern that we've had in the past, and they stepped up.
1: 100%. Next one, I set the line at 1.5 USC sacks. You took the over on that. It was the under, uh, and only 11.9% uh, of the Rotbots got that right. I got um, burned
3: on this, though, because USC, the pressure was good. The pressure was good. They just didn't get to Nick Starkle. And maybe that's a credit to Starkle for just getting the ball out. But, yeah. like, man, that's this is that's rough.
1: One of those moments where I, I think that sacks didn't matter because yeah. I think the pressure mattered.
3: Starkle was clearly affected by the pressure.
1: Yeah, and I think a lesser quarterback than Starkle maybe would have led to sacks. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to get the ball out uh, as quick as he did. Uh, Next one. You set the line for three and a half offensive touches for Keenan (laughs) Christen. I stupidly took the over. Um, (sighs) 59.5 of the Robots took the over and it was under because he had zero. But
3: I just, yeah. (laughs) If USC says they want to get someone involved in the game, just don't expect them to do it. So that's that.
1: Yeah. Not involved. Uh, other people not involved. Uh, Trayvon Sydney. I set the line at zero point five catches for the former Trojan wide receiver. You took the under. Uh, plenty of robots took the under. Fifty seven point one percent of the robots took the under. Uh, it was under. He had zero. Did he even participate? Uh, I I did not look at the participation sheet.
3: Okay. Yeah, I, because I didn't notice him at all. So yeah.
1: Uh, next one, uh, you set the line for tight end catches at 2.5. I took the over. 81% of the Rotbots took the over, and rightfully so, because it was over five. Five catches uh, for the USC tight ends. Uh, that breaks down to two to Eric Crumenhoek, two to Jude Wolf, and one for uh, Malcolm Epps.
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it at all. I'd... I, mm, I think that USC could be using those four passes that they send to Wolf and Croghan and send them to other dynamic isn't athletes. This, but
1: isn't this ironic? Because in the Sunday night conference call, Clay Helton was asked, "Okay, only two wide receivers really got targets: uh, Drake London and Taj Washington. No one else made even had a catch. How do you get those other guys involved?" And Clay laughed and said, that, like, usually you guys are asking about how to get the tight ends involved and that the tight ends are never involved when I got the tight ends involved. And it is funny because it's like it's the it's the whole uh, blanket thing, right? Like your blanket analogy that you've talked about before. Yeah, where you, you cover you your, your to, legs or you cover your head.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just one of those things where, like, I am the ultimate tight end lover. I love to see tight ends involved, but like. That's because I enjoy the way that tight ends sort of mix up an offense, And my frustration with USC is like, the tight end that I want to see you get involved is Michael Trigg. <laughs> like the quote-unquote tight end, I want to see you get involved is Drake London. Like, I want to see somebody dynamic. I want the damn tight end up the seam. If you're not going to throw the damn pass to the tight end up the seam, uh, then stop Alicia, bothering me Alicia, about it.
1: They scored on four verts to the tight end. That's yes. tight end up the seam, basically.
3: Yes, kind of. and I'm big on that. I'm big on that. You are, yeah. But that's not what they were doing in the first three quarters of that
1: game. So, hey, it, it gets it gets me the over. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll take it. Uh, next one, I set the line eleven and a half carries for Keontae Ingram because USC was expected to split carries among the backs, uh, and they did pretty evenly between Keontae Ingram and uh, Vi Malipay. Uh You took the under though; <laughs> it was over. Because uh, he had 15, uh, and only 38.1 uh, percent of the robots took the over and got that right.
3: I think that's just because I expected like Keenan Kristen to take a few, and I expected uh, Darwin Barlow or, or someone else to like get a few. Yeah. And I also expected USC to have some garbage time carries sent to their running backs that they did not give.
1: Yeah. Like Barlow warmed up, but uh, yeah. was was had been. It had been decided before the game that he was not going to participate. Yeah, But uh, well, we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, Clay Elton said it was important to get Barlow's, uh, you
3: know. Not that I mind. Used not, to. Not that I mind. Warm-ups and all that. Give me Malapai and Ingram trading off carries exclusively in this offense. For I sure. don't mind that it, at it all. worked. For I,
1: the I, record. I think it's hard to be nitpicky about the run game the way it no. worked out. No, no
3: sure. I am not mad at all. The run game pleasantly surprised me because I didn't expect them to be... As committed to it as they were. So yeah, yeah that's not my issue.
1: Yeah, and the, the tandem really worked worked together for sure. Uh Samuel said a <laughs> ten and a half catches for Drake London. Uh <laughs> you and I both took the under. Um eighty-one <laughs> percent of our robots took the under. It was over. He had twelve. Twelve catches on fifteen targets. sorry, sixteen targets. Sixteen.
3: Yeah, and again it's just I made the mistake of expecting like Katie Nixon to get a catch and you know to to see Michael Jackson and and uh and Kyle Ford and some of those other guys to be in the game and that's not what happened. So we live and learn.
1: Yeah. Live and learn and then get loves. Uh Samuel says one and a half tackles for Carrie uh Corey Foreman. Uh you took the under, I took the under. Um the robots took the over. Sixty-nine percent of the robots took the over on Corey Foreman tackles. It was under. He had zero.
3: Again, the production doesn't necessarily indicate the performance. Yeah, and that's fine.
1: I thought he got pressure on 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 Starkel, yeah, but he looked he looked fine. Didn't register in the snapbook. Yeah. Uh, Brandon said over under two hundred rushing yards for USC. Both you and I took the under. Sixty-nine uh, percent of the robots took the under. Uh, it was under. I he had 160 if you include sacks, which yeah. the stats do.
3: Yeah, I I just think 200 rushing yards, I'll always take the under for USC. All
1: right, last one. David Orange County said one sorry, 0.5 drool-worthy Ben Griffiths punts. Uh, you define a drool-worthy Ben Griffiths punt as one inside the 10 and over 50 yards, which is a pretty lenient thing. I, I think... That's not
3: lenient. Those no. are that's a very good punt either way. No, that's of those. a good
1: punt. But I, I think for something to be drool worthy, okay. I think I think going forward we should say inside the five and over fifty-five.
3: That's um, okay. Remember,
1: expectations are high okay. for Ben Griffin. Okay, you know what that's, I'm fine. Saying? that's Either fine. way, he would have gotten the over. Uh he had two. He had one inside the ten that went right to the ten, and then he had a longer fifty-eight. Yep. Both both you and I said over eighty-eight percent of the robots took the over uh and all got it right. Uh, so for the week, you went five and five. I went seven and three, baby. Dominate.
3: Congratulations.
1: Yeah, uh, me along with a bunch of others uh, tied for the for the weekly high. Uh, these are the people who had seven wins in over under. MC from Palmdale, PJ the Swimmer, Rip Marco. Uh, we got Rick, Adam, and Clinton Pittsburgh. D sets. Congratulations, all of you. For going seven and three in over under,
3: yeah, yeah, good job. I mean, it's it's not easy having a winning record in over under. Trust me, I that's, know that. That's,
1: that's right. That's why I had to put in a lot of extra effort to get get those picks right this week. For me, uh, really good performance, I would say. Uh, I us go to game predictions. Uh, Bill Connolly's numbers said SC would win forty one to eighteen. Um, well, SC did win by twenty three. He was right there. Yeah. The, the Margin of victory, 100% right for Bill Connolly there. but uh, he,
3: Bill Connolly's SP Plus, the great flaw of the SP Plus is that it thinks USC will score more than USC ever wants to. Yes. Well, because the offense. So it gets the margins right, but the he offensive doesn't...
1: production makes it seem like they would score yes. more than they actually do because yeah. of the red zone issues. Uh, Vegas had SC as a 14 point favorite at the win. Uh, with the over under at fifty nine and a half. The fifty nine and a half over under did not pay out. That was definitely an under. But SC covers with a thirty to seven win over the Spartans. You said it'd be thirty to twenty one. So you got SC's score right on the button.
3: Mm-hmm. And I just wanna reiterate, as I always do every season, I hate being right about USC because when I'm pessimistic, like I put that number at thirty because I I thought like that's the number that's gonna annoy me, and there we go. Yeah. And they didn't even. The offense didn't even score thirty.
1: <laughs> a pick six and a garbage time touchdown. Gets yeah, see to thirty. Uh, I said thirty four to thirty one. So uh, thirty four twenty one, which is again uh, not right either. So uh, that's gonna wrap up over under. We got a big mail bag. Let's get to it. You've got mail. <laughs> All right, Alicia, let's start with a voicemail we got from Gary in Newport. Hey, guys,
2: uh, Gary from Newport. Uh, love your show. Uh, I agree with you guys. They threw to Drake London too much, way too much. They've got to realize how Drake London plays the game. He doesn't like to go down. He likes to drag some small defender down the field, and then two, three other guys come in and take shots on London he's going to get hurt, and then, he was taking shots all game long, and then finally, towards the end of the game, you know, he, he like once again, they were taking shots at him, he comes up, limping, and Hilton and Harrell are like, oh my God, our receiver, we got to take him out of the game. They have got to throw, move the ball around. Where was Ford? I mean, come on, can anybody find out what happened to Ford? Why wasn't he in the game? Why, is it, why are we only throwing to Drake London? It's just pathetic. I'm so sick and tired of it. Drake London, uh, you know, on his part, he's got to learn to, like, I've dragged this guy as far as I can. This 255-pound linebacker's bearing down on me. I got to go down. He's got to have some sense of awareness and save himself for the season and not play hero ball every single play. Anyways, um, defense played great. And uh, grateful for the victory. Uh, love to hear you guys' nice thoughts. Bye-bye.
3: Thanks so much for the call, Gary. Uh, appreciate Appreciate the nice words you said about the show too. And yeah, I, I had the same concerns at a certain point in that game. I, w- I was sitting there going, "Like, why is Drake London even in the game right now? Why? Are, why are you? Hey, why are you throwing the ball? Why is Drake London in the game right now? It just that was the time when see what Joseph manjack has to give you. See what Taj Washington or Katie Nixon or Put, uh, you know, put Kyle Ford in the game. Put Michael Jackson in the game. Put put John Jackson in the game. Like, give those guys a run when you're just trying to see out the, the game. You had a good enough margin that you didn't have to worry terribly. You, you need to start protecting your players. And you are right. You are absolutely right. Drake London is going to get injured this season if USC doesn't do better to protect him because we've seen this before. Every single junior wide receiver that USC has had that's the superstar wide receiver ends up getting hurt because they're they're the the target of the defense. It happened to Marquise Lee. It happened to Juju Smith Schuster. Robert Woods got the crap beat out of him. Like if anyone can deal with that, I believe in Drake London being able to be tough enough for it. But like, do not give him an opportunity to risk his body because he will not not risk his body. He's gonna put himself in the in that position. Protect him.
1: Yeah, from himself. I, I didn't think about it, but you're right. Yeah. Every one of those receivers, their final season was like a zombie.
3: Yeah. Because they're, they're, the, they're the focal point of the defense. Everybody on defense. Okay. It already takes five guys to take down Drake London on any given play. Right. And then there's extracurricul- cu- curriculars on every single play because they know how important he is to USC's attack. Right. And I'm not saying anyone's trying to hurt like somebody, but... That, you know what football players do right. in a in a scrum in, a, in 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 a pile there. And it like, goes both ways. And it, it goes both it, ways. It's, it's yeah. Football. Yeah. Yeah. So like they need to be smarter about how they use Drake. If you need to target him ten times, fifteen times in a game, by all means, do what you got to do. But you should not be risking him in that context in the fourth quarter.
1: I thought that drive was interesting enough in the, in the fourth quarter the crum and hook TD drive because. Uh, if it was me, I would have either had, yeah, work out the, the new guys at, at receiver if you're going to throw the ball, or just run. Just run. I, I I didn't think it was... If I was playing Madden, I would have thrown for, for yeah, verts But you're there, dumb but when like... you
3: play... Like, you're, you are notoriously stupid in what you, Madden. What are you trying to say? You constantly... I watch you play Madden often enough to know what? that, like, what? why are you doing that? Like, don't get over... Don't, why are you getting so aggressive? Don't... don't tell the people and I suck. (laughs) You're way better than I am at Madden, if that's any consolation. Come
1: on, jeez. All right, a voicemail from Michael in Iowa.
4: Hey guys, this is Michael in Iowa. uh could not watch the game on Saturday. I just gotten back from uh, the hospital because I had my uh, gallbladder uh, yanked out day before, and I just knew that SC was going to stink up the place just like all the gas I was passing because of. once it was 13 to 7, uh, I knew they were going to fold. Um, I was much vastly surprised to find out they didn't fold. Uh, boy, Iowa looked really good out here on Saturday. I got to tell you, but, uh, one other, one thing for both y'all, I wouldn't recommend doing the gallbladder thing. It's a uh, way, way overrated. So well, on to Stanford, who oh, God, they look brutal. Uh, take care god bless and we'll talk to you later bye-bye thanks
1: for the call michael as always oh
3: michael thanks. i'm sorry i'm sorry you we, had to we, deal with that we hope you're doing better. we hope you're doing way better um <laughs> no I, w- I will not go out of my way to end up with my gallbladder having any issues i already had my appendix out when i was a kid don't need any Where,
1: uh where's the gallbladder rank on your favorite organs
3: I do not have favorite organs. I suppose my favorite organ is my heart because it keeps me alive. Other than that, I, I mean do like not the
1: gallbladder and the spleen, like those are like organs I always forget exist.
3: I don't ever think about my organs very often. So I just want them all to stay put, do their jobs, not cause me any problems. That's 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 the, the yeah, gist.
1: And, and we're wishing you the best, Michael. We hope yes, everything's going absolutely going well with you. But yeah, SC, at one point in this game, led 13-7 to after San Jose State scored in the third quarter. And it looked like this was going to be a game in which they could have crumbled, but they didn't. They ended up uh, holding firm on defense. They get the pick six. They're able to add well, a field that, goal there uh, and at the beginning was, of the fourth quarter.
3: And that was the difference, right? The difference yeah. was the defense just tightened up and just
1: took the game out of out of range. Yeah, they gave up one good drive and that was it. Yeah.
3: And and they responded very well to it after their offense didn't give them anything on the next drive because that's what the offense does. Yeah,
1: and the only other drive that they really gave up was the last one in garbage time. Yeah,
3: which on, was go- literal garbage time. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and nobody would have Which, again, they could have scored. Again, and then <laughs> so ruin that stat. they could have scored in the last play of the game, then you wouldn't have the 57th yeah. game thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go to a Twitter question from Jonathan. Will USC be a top 10 team before the Notre Dame game?
3: Okay, the answer to this... It's can,
1: undoubtedly yes.
3: The, the, the answer to this you can find in our preseason preview episode. Oh, wait, wait,
1: hold on. Is he asking a top 10 team before Go, the Notre Dame game, going as into, in going into the Notre going Dame Going into game, the Notre Dame or game. Or will they be a top 10 team at some point before the Notre Dame game? Because I think there could be different answers. I
3: think those might be different answers. Um,
1: I think either way, I think SC will be a top 10 team at so, some point in the season.
3: So here's the thing. Let's assume USC beats Stanford. They're already number 14. They would need people to lose. And this week, week two, is very much everyone's playing FCS teams. So the threat of teams losing ahead of USC is a little bit lower. So they need to at least get through Washington State. And I think, uh, obviously, in my preseason predictions, I do not think that is to come. But I also think that, like, this team could easily just go through this really crap schedule and be undefeated going into Notre Dame game. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's where I that's where I was in the preseason. If USC uh, is four and zero,
3: I think USC is a top ten team, and that's mostly for the attrition in front of them.
1: Yeah, I I, I think so too. Just just the way the polls work.
3: Because remember, uh, Oregon's going to lose. Well, I don't know. Oregon might not lose to Ohio State, but like I think Oregon's going to lose. Playing at nine a.m. Yeah. at the horseshoe. I'm sorry, Oregon. Yeah, we'll see. Possibly without Kayvon Thibodeau. Well, I don't know.
1: Uh, Jonathan also says, will USC cover for the second game in a row? Uh, you're going to have to stay tuned. Stay tuned for our season or our, our Stanford preview coming up uh, later in the week. Uh, we got a Twitter DM from uh, Julie Madden. Next podcast, we have an honest conversation about our offensive coordinator. He's the elephant in the room, along with this boss who we just don't need to keep talking about. Also, when we lose to UCLA and Notre Dame, things will cha- finally change, she says.
3: Yes, thank you for the DM, Judy. Judy Madden. What did I say? You said Julie. I didn't say Julie. You said Julie. I said Judy. I heard Julie. Either way, uh, Judy, thanks for the question. And, yeah, I think he's the elephant in the room uh, holding hands with Clay Helton. Uh, I had a thought on Sunday morning when I woke up. It was like... USC was very, very close to having Cliff Kingsbury and Dave Aranda as their offensive and defensive coordinators. And what would this season look like with that? Now, I'm not trying to slight Todd Orlando because Orlando's doing a good job so far. But like, again, the more I think about it, the more I think that USC made the decision to go to the air raid based on getting Cliff Kingsbury when they weren't going to get Cliff Kingsbury going to the air raid with Cliff Kingsbury, baby Cliff Kingsbury light, I think that. They didn't. They were taking a risk, and I respect the risk. But also, Graham Harrell is a very, very young offensive coordinator who probably shouldn't be in charge of this particular Ferrari. That's just the. That's just my uh, my opinion. USC, okay, Harrell and T. Martin, and before T. Martin, Clay Hilton. Those last three offensive coordinators that USC had, three guys who are distinctly unqualified to be driving this car. Am I wrong?
1: Uh, I would say that there's one guy SC's had in the last decade who would be qualified.
3: Steve Sarkeesian. Yes. Yeah.
1: I I don't think SC's struggling to score 30 points. If Stark is here? With with the garbage time and the the pick six getting them there.
3: Dude, watching Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss against Louisville last night on Sunday night, Monday night, I mean... That was that was a that was an experience for me.
1: Did you see that play where uh, Corral runs and then stops at the line of scrimmage and just does the little jump toss? Yes,
3: and Beautiful. Then, and then they call the ineligible man downfield which I hate cuz like those blockers are engaged with a defensive lineman. Their only mistake was being too powerful against those defensive linemen. Like if they were worse blockers, then they wouldn't have been downfield. Like, I hate that rule so much. But yes, that was a beautiful little play. And, and there's all sorts of beautiful little plays in Kiffin's offense.
1: Yeah. It's, it's got creativity, for sure. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Shane Sullivan. Rewatching the game, I noticed that a majority of Keaton's passes were outside with few throws over the middle. Is this mostly due to the drop-8 defense that were are force- facing, or more because London is now playing on the outside? I think this is the offense. I think that if London wasn't an inside guy as they had used before, I think this would have been what you would have been seeing the whole time.
3: I think there's something to the drop eight. Um, they, they were, it was two high safeties. They were dropping eight. They were just really sort of filling the space. And so you are sort of limited. Also USC doesn't have anybody on the inside that you have to get the ball to. So like Keaton's not sitting there thinking, I have to get the where I think that he got comfortable with. I can go to Drake there in the middle if I need to. I don't know that he's going to go out of his way to target Joseph Manjack at this point. I don't know that he's going to go out of his way to target, you know, Jude Wolfe or Eric or, Com- or, or Eric So I think most of the passes on the outside are because that the passes were going to Drake London.
1: Okay, here's an idea. Why can't you? Why does your lead receiver have to be outside? Uh, that's what I I said from the beginning. Like, keep
3: Drake inside. Use that mismatch. You can. You other players can be can succeed on the outside, and Drake Lennon can be an absolute mismatch nightmare on the inside. I don't like that they moved him to the outside. Personally, and I would have rather just this keep is that the thing mismatch.
1: We've seen, like throughout, remember when when Marquise Lee had the big year as a freshman, Robert Woods, too. and then going into the next year. Lee took away all of Wood's routes, and, and they they switched roles for them. And, like, why does it have to be that way? And I know that T. Martin always talked about that you want you guys trained at inside and outside so they can go back and forth. I get that. And I think Drake but London is someone see? who can play anywhere. But at the same point, if you know that he thrives in the inside and putting him on the outside, if for not, no other reason kind of creates this, this opportunity where Keith's love Slovis predominantly looks outside and they're they they do not have balance in in the peripheral field of the But they stuff. they like,
3: always talk about like training guys to like line up anywhere. Did we see Drake London line up on the inside in this game? I don't
1: remember it. Not I, that I remember I mean, off the top of my head. Again
3: I, I've only been able to I have not being able to rewatch the game it's it's really a bummer. I need to sort of figure out how I can do that. But like that's one thing that's uh yeah I just wish I wish they went more out of their way to make sure that the mismatches are taken care of.
1: Yeah. E- either way, the, 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 first read of this offense seems to be look for the, look for the hitch on the outside. Uh, and if that's not there, then scramble and hope it opens up at some point. Yeah. Uh, You've got a tweet from Ricky D has the air raid run its course at USC. I don't know that it's run its course. Um, I just don't, because the thing about the air raid, I think we've talked about this before. It's The the problem isn't the air raid. I think it's the problem with the way USC is running it um, right now. They just haven't been able to hit the hallmarks of what the air raid is, which is scheming guys open, making it easier for the quarterback. I think as it was in this game, I don't think they made it easier for Keaton Slovis because they, San Jose State took away the receivers and he didn't have anywhere else uh, to go with because when the focus is all about Drake London.
3: Okay, so... I am no, like, schematic genius. I, I I don't pretend to be an expert on all of these things. Neither am I. But is USC, like, USC is running air raid routes. USC is running air raid concepts. They're not running an air raid. Because an air raid would mean they'd go four and five wide. And we don't see them going four and five wide. They waste personnel on tight ends and running backs. And I love tight ends and running backs. But, like, if you tell me you're running an air raid... And then never go four wide, never go five wide. Are you really running an air raid? You're running air raid concepts in a traditional offense. That's what I see from USC. So has that run its course? Has a new form of... USC literally, they took the gumbo that T. Martin was running and they swip, switched up the ingredients to call it the air raid, but they're still essentially running gumbo. So I, that's my... Has that run its course? Yes, I think it's run its course. As I've said from the get-go. If you're gonna, if you're okay, if you're gonna focus on, we need to be able to run the ball 170 yards a game. Well, then do a pro style offense like Lane, Lane Kiffin runs. If you're not, then go all in on 2019 when you didn't have any running backs and just throw the heck out of the ball and stop with this, with this, with this in between that's not working.
1: Well, I think SC acts as if they're running the air raid, but what they're showing in terms of formations and how that everything works. It's a power spread, but yeah. the, but the power spread is not that power spread that you get to see that Alabama and Ohio <laughs> State and all those other teams run.
3: Yeah, it's a power spread. Again, it's a it's a it's a janky power spread that doesn't have a running quarterback. It's it's do... not
1: enough of a power spread, and it's not enough of the. Yeah, year-wide.
3: it's so so they're trying to take advantage of all these concepts, but like in order to take advantage of those concepts, you have to go all in on on what that offense looks like, and we don't right. see USC doing that, and they don't have offensive minds running it to, like, recognize that, I think.
1: Yep. Uh, Michael Madden says, rewatching the game, I have two questions. One, do you think it's possible USC's offense simply struggles because of the lack of a strong scheme slash play calling, not because of a weak offensive line unit? It's possible. I think it could be Porteño. No well, yeah,
3: Porteño no does. Uh, in this game, the offensive line was fine. They did their job, and I don't think they were right. a liability. So in this game, and and again, like in this game, USC's the offense didn't struggle in seventy five percent of the field. They struggled where it counted. In the, I will push zone. back
1: on that because they had they had that period. Uh, in the middle of the game where they had multiple three-and-outs in a row. Okay, that's fair. In the second
3: like, quarter, it got real, real not quarter, fun. Yeah, it, yeah. it,
1: it struggled. Yeah. Uh, they they stalled, but they also had drives where they just couldn't get anything to go as well. It's not They would have had 500 yards if they would have stalled every time they went to the red zone. But that's not what happened in this game.
3: Well, but, okay, so offenses are going to stall. Offenses are going to go three-and-out. If you score your touchdowns in the red zone... You score 45 points in this game and we don't have to be having this conversation. So I think that uh, I think that's uh, it very much is a a little bit of both. But the problem is that if USC one week, it's the scheme play calling and the next week it'll be the offensive line and they can trade off and you can have a bad season.
1: Yeah, Uh, Michael, second question. Uh, Are you guys in or out on Graham Harrell and his future at USC? Here's what I will say. I I don't know that I'm in or out. I, I think it's more so of we talked about just do the thing, right? Like be an RA team or be a power spread team. Don't be halfway in the middle. And again, as we've said multiple times on this show, when was SC's offense at its best under Graham Harrell? It was November of 2019. When all the running backs got hurt and they had to force themselves to go all in on the air raid. That's
3: when Drake London emerged. That's when Drake London alongside Tyler Vaughns and Michael Pittman and Amon Ross St. Brown. And
1: Keaton Slovis looked incredible. Yes. The offense dropped forty against a Cal defense that we all thought was good. Yeah. Remember, I know people love to hate the Iowa game, and rightfully so. The USC was could not tearing stop USC's offense
3: before Keaton got injured. No, rewatch yeah. that
1: game. Yeah. Iowa could not stop USC's offense before Keaton Slovis got hurt. Yeah. It's a shootout if Keaton Slovis doesn't get hurt.
3: Yeah. So this offense can be good. I Who I'm out on is Clay Helton. And I and I I think that that is, uh, you know, Graham Harrell going to get uh, be a baby that's thrown out with that bathwater. But I also, as I've said, I think Graham Harrell at this stage in his career, USC should be shooting higher than someone like Graham Harrell. USC did. They went for Cliff Kingsbury, and they got burned there, and I understand how that all happened, but that's where they're at.
1: Right. Yep. Uh, I've got a bunch of messages from Dave in Orange County. First one, hearing a lot of positive feedback about our defense. Sure, they got two interceptions and only allowed seven points, but we had no sacks, and they were benefited from their quarterback just being inaccurate, which caused a lot of drives to stall. Explain to me why I should be more optimistic about this defense. Here's what I will say. I don't think Nick Starkle was inaccurate uh, in general. I think he had plenty of throws that weren't perfect. Um, But Nick Starkle is a good quarterback. And maybe this is giving Nick Starkle too much of the benefit of the doubt. But I think SC forced a fair bit of those, especially on third down a couple times. Uh, One of the reasons that I think that San Jose State struggled on third down is that SC was able to get pressure even if they weren't forcing the sack. The tough part is like those things don't measure up in the stat book, so it's hard to say. Like that's all just like intangible stuff, and I test, but I really do think that it wasn't about just the sacks; it was about the pressure in this game.
3: Yeah, I, I would agree with with your assessment, and I would also kind of agree with Dave, as I said earlier in this in this episode. I think the defense gets the tip of the cap. Now show show
1: me again. They did give up yards. They gave up yards. It, I and, mean, it wasn't the perfect defensive rounding.
3: Things could have gone wrong in a lot of ways, but they buckled down when they needed to buckle down. They got pressure and unsettled Starkle, and they looked... They looked... Okay. In a game where you accept that there might be some early season rust, the defense looked like a defense that you would look at and say, that was a good performance, Against a team that you should shut down the way that you shut them down, like the I can't ask for too much more from this defense. When even in a even in a worst case scenario, they were going to give up thirteen points in this game. Like, right? I I think that uh, that's how you sh- how you really should be looking at this defense. They looked good. They didn't give up the big play. They got pressure. The secondary looked sharp. The young players stepped up. I I think. When we're talking about all we're talking about on offense, like we don't need to nitpick the defense right now.
1: <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And and looking at it, a hundred uh, sorry, seventy-four of Nick Starkle's 308 yards came in the very last drive in the last two minutes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they gave up yards. Uh, but San Jose State had even more empty calories, I think, than SC did uh in that sense. So we've talked about empty calories before. Dave also says the offensive line looked improved from last year. Was this caused by schematics or are these young guys just playing better than last year's dudes? I, uh, I think it's possibly a mixture of both. I think it's a little bit early to tell. Also, this is where we caveat that I know I'm not an offensive line expert, so I can't give you that answer.
3: What uh, I, can, I would
1: assume that at least he is not either.
3: No, not an offensive line expert. Uh, what I can say is I didn't see the sort of physical beats that make me worried about USC's offensive line occasionally. And I think it's a credit to the tackles that they were on top of things. Um, were they perfect? No. But I also think that when Keaton Slovis was in danger in this game, it was his own fault. So there's that. I think they looked fine.
1: Drake's next question. Drake's next Dave's next <laughs> question. He writes Drake in this question. So that's why. Uh, Dave's next question. <laughs> Who is quieter on Saturday? Are linebacker core or are receivers not named Drake? Uh, I'm going to say it's I, – I don't know. I don't
3: mm. Hey, Taj Washington had a hell of a catch.
1: Was out there, and they were just fine. It's just that they weren't registering all of the uh, the the big moments that you would think of. the The receivers weren't getting an opportunity um, outside of Taj Washington.
3: Yeah, I, I I want to give a ton of credit to Taj Washington. I thought that what you saw from him is exactly why you brought him in. I think that's yes. that play that he made on that touchdown is why you brought in Taj Washington. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And he only needs to do that once a game for him to have an absolutely freaking outstanding season. So, uh, yeah, give me the receivers, not named Drake, over the linebacker core, which we've had a discussion about. Too many Anthony Saros, not enough. Ray Oligas, Too many Caluco not enough. Uh, Brian Cushing's
1: next question from Dave uh, what area is needed for more improvement for Slovis higher location of passes to Drake London so he can use his basketball skills near the goal line or checking down and dumping off the ball to our running back
3: give me the check well number one uh, to just bypass your question number one is just going through his progressions he's a junior quarterback he needs to go through his progressions he can't just fixate on Drake London Number two, though, check down. I mean, that's part of growing through your (laughs) Your progressions is to just check down to the running backs. And we know that these running backs, when they have the ball in their hand, they can be dangerous. So, yeah, do the check downs more often. I think the location of passes, I would be way more concerned about how long he's fixated on Drake London than where he's putting the passes for Drake London.
1: Yeah, and and that would also allow him to look at things like, um, you know. Uh, sorry, I got sidetracked by. I was looking at the stats really quick. Uh, oh, never mind, I I misread the stats. Ignore me. Shame. I was talking about looking at Derek Deese's numbers. San Uh Jose State's. uh, Yeah. Oh, that beautiful tight end. end. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so he had three catches for sixty-three yards.
3: See. Okay. Can hold on. I'm gonna steal a moment from you when we talk about like. Oh, we got the the tight ends. Uh, they 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 had two cat they had four four catches for the tight ends they totaled thirty six yards no give me three catches for sixty three yards that's the tight end that I want to see
1: <laughs> so I I looked at this and it said I saw twenty one uh, it was twenty one was next to his average for some reason I thought that was the long category and I'm like wait a minute he had his long was twenty one so he had exactly three twenty one yard catches oh no <laughs> but, but no he no, had, had a long of twenty nine but yeah. like. They were all big chunk plays, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, last question from Evan. Uh, do you think we'll get as better as the season progresses? Helen's teams typically look pretty bad in the beginning of the year, but we surprisingly looked a little better than we do in week one. Um, I don't know. I, I think here's the question. Last year, did they get better as the season went on? I don't know. I think SC was just what they were last year. That was a COVID season. I don't know if it's how you judge that. The year before, 2019, we talked about it before. Why did they look so good at the end of the year? Because they changed the offensive philosophy. They had to go all in and skew Air Raid. Uh, And when they said, screw it, let's be an Air Raid team, they were really good at that. They were really good at just being one thing uh, and having an identity. Uh, The year before that, 2018, things fell apart in the season. 2017, did they get better as the year went
3: on? 2017, they were literally the same team from start to finish, and it was extremely frustrating, yes.
1: They had the one bad game at Notre Dame, but they had a couple of good games in November, but I don't think that they turned it around at the end of the year. Uh, 2016, they definitely got better as the season went on. So I guess I would say I don't know if it is a Clay Helton trait to get better as the season goes on in terms of just overall team improvement.
3: Okay, I guess what I would say—it's
1: it's hard because all these seasons are, have been, for well, as consistent as SC has no, been over the last... You know last, what's like,
3: inconsistent? Who you're playing on a week to week basis. Well, like it's not like you're yes, playing the same 100%. slate, and so you get you can you you have a graph that you can just sort of see it rising. Sometimes you just play worse teams. At a certain point, it makes it look like you're better, and then you run into the big teams, and looks like you suck. Like 2016, like. USC just played the the tough games early on in that season, and then it turned out that the last two months of that season, everyone except for Colorado was really down. Right. But SC
1: was going boffo at the same time?
3: And USC was going off. So like the marginal improvement from USC, Sam Darnold really coming into his own, coincided with playing a bunch of teams that were lesser than we thought they would be. So I think that's the bigger—I think we will see better performances than we saw on Saturday. That's what I will say. Yeah. does that mean that you're better? I don't know because opponents change.
1: Yeah, I think SC has a chance to be mega if if the defense plays as they did on Sunday, yes. sa- Saturday, uh where they just they are going to be, you know, a touchdown better than they were last year at least. Um and just bend but don't break but be reliable and get the stops when they need to. And if the offense in a perfect world, um got back to at least the production of November of 2019, even if they didn't have the inherent airatiness, if they got to the, back to the production of that era, the team would be mega, wouldn't they? Like that team would win the Pac-12. Yeah, it's just a matter of getting there. I don't, I don't know how you get there. The good thing for the defense is, I think the defense is already at the point that you'd want them to be. Yeah. For the most part,
3: the problem is you need the defense to stay at that point and right. again show me next week.
1: Yeah. Show me, show me, show me. All right, that's going to wrap up the podcast. I guess we'll have to get to the Hangar episode next time. I mean, discussion next time. We will, yeah.
3: yeah. People are, are on the edge of their seats waiting for the Hangar
1: discussion, Michael. They are. They yeah. are. Yeah. We have to hang around and get it later. <laughs> uh, all right, this is going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, email address is Phone number... 213-373-1872. Thanks for calling in the rant line. Again, say that number on your phone. Call us after and before and during the Stanford game coming up on Saturday. Uh, again, we're gonna preview the Stanford game later in the week. Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.